This week's podcast, number 41, we're old hands at this, comes to you from the Wiggly Garden. We've escaped. I'm Heather, and I'm joined today by... Richard. And... Alison. From Wiggly Wigglers. Richard wants me to tell you what the podcast is about. So, it's about country life. What else, Richard? Farming. Agriculture. Al. Uh, wildlife and the environment. Biodiversity. Life at Wigglies. Life at Wigglies. Life yeah, at Wigglies. That's a big part, isn't it? And lots more. We've got lots to get through this week. Richard's been to Hugh Fernley Witten Stalls. And just to get one up on him, of course, I had to go one better and go to Buckingham Palace. Mm. Alison's been up to the new combine harvesting wildflower seed. Farmer Phil drops in. He's very busy. He's just off combining. It's the first day of harvest today. And we're going pond dipping. Can't wait for that. So off we go with the show. Da 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 Maybe we should get new music. I'll have to practice more on the piano. It's great to see you, Phil. Morning, Rich. I haven't seen you for a bit. It's warm enough, isn't it? Busy. It's a bit too warm. How does this affect your agriculture? Well, quite a lot, actually. There are two main effects. The heat and lack of water on the crops is starting to tell now. They're a lot earlier than we would normally expect. Right. And um, we're intending to go combining this afternoon, and we'll find out how much that's affected the yield. Right, Okay. So that's the one aspect of it. The other is that the grass has stopped growing. Right. Which is quite worrying for the cattle. Yeah. We've decided not to mow 50-odd acres of hay on the basis that we'll need to graze it. Right. But it may not be enough yet. Um, oh, God, how so depressing w- w- that is, isn't well, it? To, yeah, and well, it, and if it was raining, can you imagine what he would be saying? Oh, it's raining, so I can't go combining now. Oh, it's raining, so I can't cut <laughs> the hay now. I was just That's going ready. to come on to some of the positives before um, Heather goes off on one. <laughs> Yeah. And the positives of this weather are, of course, that we shouldn't need to dry any of the crops. Right. Which, with the cost of fuel, is a significant saving. So it's all, you know, pros and cons, I guess. These little flies I'm covered in, Phil, what are these? These little tiny... Thunderbugs. Right. Well, that's what I call them, anyway. Thunder, thunder they yeah. They are most irritating, aren't they? Yeah, where are they from? How do they... I don't know. You kind of see them this time of year, and you get covered in them, and they are really irritating. If you have any um, oil leaks on tractors or anything like that that's vaguely sticky, they get thousands and thousands of them stuck on them. And they also get in the fans, on the cooling fans on the tractors, right. and get all built up on the ends of them. And right. The flies, actually, are a bit of a problem for the cattle, because they really suffer at this time we, of year. We walked up there yesterday on our little uh, trail to find the pond in the woods, mm. and the poor old cows, you know, they were plastered in flies. Well, at least having groups of them, they will stand nose to tail so that they can get the benefit of each other's yeah. tails to swish them off, but it does, it does drive them pretty balmy. We have to be careful because the flies carry various diseases which they can catch, notably a, a disease of the eye called New Forest disease. Really? Which causes a rather nasty abscess to develop in the middle of the eyeball. Right. It's easily cured, yeah. but it's painful and irritating for them. Yeah, but I'm sure t- it is. Touch wood, we haven't had any so far this year, so perhaps we won't. No, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Well, I looked at my sunflowers in the garden last night, and they're looking pretty good. The ones that I've watered are much taller than the ones I haven't. That's good, <laughs> isn't it? enough. And I wondered how your sunflowers were getting on. They're loving it. They yeah. are the one crop that 
the more sun they get, the better. They've got good deep root systems and they might wilt a bit in the, you know, the hottest part of the day, but a bit like maize, which is another crop, they just thrive on it. Right. And as you say, if you water them, they get taller, but basically sunshine's what they like and yeah. more of it. Right, right. And so ours being a little bit late planted, this sort of weather's great for them. So is this weather likely to stay with us for a bit, do you think? Well, it sounds like it. We, we might get the odd thunderstorm, but apart from that, they're talking about it being hot and fair well on into next week. That's really? as far as I trust any weather forecaster. What's your kind of farmer inclination? I mean, you know, your intuition. Well, not notwithstanding thunderstorms, we normally would have a goodish spell of weather now. Right. Normally, the end of July, you would have some thunderstorms. Right. But August, by and large, here, we seem to have a good spell of weather the first part of August. Good for some people, not so good for others, I guess. Well, I mean, it's challenges, isn't it? But, you know, on the, on the face of it, apart from the discomfort of working in it, I mean, we've got the advantages of air-conditioned cabs and things like that, which alleviate those sort of problems. Yeah. But if it was raining, we'd be grizzling, as Heather says. So. Yes, you would. And what's interesting, though, you mentioned about the air conditioning in the cabs, because, of course, whilst they might alleviate the problems in this period while you're mowing, the reality is that air conditioning is a bit of an environmental nightmare, isn't it? Well, the trick with air conditioning, it's a bit like swimming pools. If you have the temperature in your cab just a few degrees lower than the temperature outside, it feels much better. Right. And is therefore not taking a vast amount of energy to cool it. If you right. set it to minus five and try and freeze yourself <laughs> to death in there, it uses a lot of energy and potentially will make you ill because when you go outside, you then faint and fall down your combine steps, which is a bit embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> so talking, the idea is to <laughs> just adjust it to cool you right. a little right. okay. rather so than try and make yourself into an ice box in there. And actually, yeah. the reality is that if you set them too cold, they just freeze and they don't work at all right no i, I agree with you they do use out. energy yeah but having said that right now i'll, I'll forsake that bit of environmental As, greenness uh, many people will i think yeah yeah driving along the m25 as i listen to this podcast we did our pond course yesterday i mentioned and we wandered up into the woods mm. past the old cows and, that, and i hacked my way through the briars with my hook and we found the pond the idea was really just to give the people on the pond course an opportunity to be able to compare different environments. So we're looking at the garden pond and then the, the little glacial circus we've talked about previously mm. there and then the pond up in the woods. And uh, you've told me a little bit about that pond, didn't you? How, long, how, how many years ago was that It was created? built during the war. There's a big spring line across the wood which feeds it, but it was refurbished and upgraded during the war to make it into a reservoir. Right. And they ran a big pipe down the hill from it and used to drive a turbine that drove a feed mill down here in the, in the yard. Right. Um, the idea being that, I don't know what electricity was like in the war, fairly scarce, I would imagine. Yeah. And it was a free way of driving the hammer mill, and that's what they used to use it for. That's yeah, amazing. Um, and the Italian POWs built it, yeah. along yeah. with the, the water system that feeds the neighbouring village, Tiverton, right. so that we have our private water supplies that are fed from this spring line. So that's, that's what you were looking at, and it's lined with hard clay, and then they built a sort of stone front to it where the pipes and overflows are situated and there's a sluice gate to empty it. Yeah. 
They were yeah, interesting stupid. stuff. I, I'd read somewhere that uh, two and a half thousand years ago, the whole of the British Isles was twenty five percent of it was uh, was marshy, wet area. I mean, obviously our climate's changed considerably since then. We have a much drier climate now, but lots of mill ponds and ponds created to generate energy like this one up here, in effect, have gone, haven't they? And mm. it's, it's quite nice that those ones are left over. And, in fact, do you guys get grants, don't you, towards create, creating um, scrapes and ponds and whatnot on farmland now? I don't actually know what the situation is. In terms of some of the environmental schemes, we can have capital grants, and I think that they've done away with what we used to know of as grants for digging ponds and so on and included it in the higher level scheme, Right. which then means that you can put in a capital project such as creating an area or a pond or fencing it off, all that sort of thing, and include that and you get a grant towards the capital cost. But as far as I know at the moment, that's the only way of getting capital grants for that sort of project. Oh, that's interesting stuff. So, but uh, yes, it was it was fantastic, and people were able to appreciate the difference. And the incredible thing is, this garden pond here that we're stood over now, that Monty's dipping in, is a lot more biodiverse than the other two ponds that we looked at, even though they're in more remote situations. It is, but of course, the reservoir that you looked at was in the wood, which I would imagine would curtail its biodiversity quite a lot because of the shade and yeah, the effect of the shaded. pine trees and things yeah, like that yeah. upstream of it. I did notice there was an emperor dragonfly on there and a common darter. Right. Uh, so they kind of like there's quite a bit of open water mm. there's a lot of filaments algae and the water is very clear mm. and, and I guess that's because of the lovely spring water that's bubbled mm. up through that limestone ridge up there mm. you said there's a marsh area just below it and I couldn't find that oh well there's what was another pond downstream of it which is now mostly silted up there's no open water in it the water sort of trickles through it but there are some quite interesting or interesting looking and quite diverse range of plants in there right where the orals or alders haven't overtaken them but i'll have to take you and show you that one yeah yeah definitely i'll be interested to see that and one thing you might it's quite fun when we walk back there is a puddle literally an inch deep and it's full of tadpoles mm. loads of tadpoles and of course the big pond i say of course but the, in actual fact the big pond there were no tadpoles in there at all no and these frogs have obviously chosen that situation I imagine in a few weeks' time that's, that little pond, that little puddle, is going to dry out. But is that because the, the reservoir has got no shallow edges to I it? I think that's probably it's too yeah, deep. It's, it's got too deep, deep, deep yeah. straight from the edge, I would imagine. Right, and they do, frogs do like to spawn in shallow areas, don't they? Mm. Anyway, yeah. we're going to find out what's happening in our pond in a minute because we're going to send Ricardo in. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to chuck him in. <laughs> you nearly yeah, did last week, yeah, didn't no. you? Didn't Heather end up in there on Saturday oh, night? Dear. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, no. I think she'd been trying to keep that little, uh, yeah, little yeah. incident uh, quiet. Yeah, she that. blamed you, though, Rich. Yeah, she I said you hadn't lit the tea lights oh. in the right order, oh. and I said mind the pond, <laughs> and uh, there was a big stride and splash, and then, Phil, <laughs> I fell in the pond. I did, uh, dear listener, fall in my own pond, and it was entirely Rich's fault. He, was, <laughs> <laughs> he went to light the candles, and I put them either side of the path. On the right, then on the left, then on the right. But he missed one out. So when I went to blow the tea lights out, having no extra pims on board, I hasten to add, I went left of the correct tea light, and then I fell straight into the pond. <laughs> and luckily, ought to establish yeah. I couldn't have been able to see it though. That's... Could, do you think that it would be an item for a future podcast to establish the definition of extra pims on board? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. I think that might. Uh, have luckily, I only fell in the fact. shallow end. But for those who can't see me, as you probably know, I'm a little vertically challenged. So that was just in between the knee and the hip. Yeah. Yeah. 
I was well, thank amazed. You, thank you so much, lads, for mentioning that. No problem <laughs> at all. On there. I thought you did very well not to go a complete plower in it, to be <laughs> quite honest. Mm. My best sandals, though, were covered in pondweed. Uh, not so good. <laughs> not these. Right, lovely. We're going to go pond dipping in a minute. Goodio. I'll go combining then. Okay. Cheers, Phil. Bye for now. Alison, good to see you. You're rubbing yourself frantically, trying to kill all these thunderbugs. Yeah, it's all these bugs we've got at Wigglers at the moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those bugs at Wigglers. <laughs> those uh, beautiful butterflies going by there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fantastic out here in the garden, certainly. But you've been up to all sorts of adventures this week, haven't you? Yeah, I've been up well, in Shropshire um, wildflower harvesting on our new contraption. We've got a miniature combine. Excellent. which is pretty cool yeah, hasn't yeah. got a cab or anything or any air conditioning like right. farm fields combine mind no, you yeah, no. but it does the job and it works very well really hmm. so is this something that uh, you guys have worked on the, the design of the thing because it's uh, they had it on the open market are they or yeah, no they, they had it built specially but they they have got another machine which pulls on the back of a quad bike right. type thing right. which is like um, a brushing system but it doesn't work half as well as actually cutting the meadow Right, and putting right. it through the combine. So that little combine, how mm. does it work exactly? You take it onto the field, and then what happens? It's just like a normal farmer's combine, but yeah. it's got a four-foot header. So does it cut the field in the same way as a combine cuts wheat, for example? Is yeah. it harvesting the seed from the head of the Yeah, the of course, it's, it's green grass, so the, the ripe seed will go through it very quickly, and you hardly get any dust, whereas when a farmer field combines is wheat and barley it's really really dusty but because it's green there's hardly any dust at all right um, i wanted to ask if you do that with the field then you must be cutting the crop all at the same time and they must go to seed at different times you know in our meadow yeah it's oxide daisy then it's less than napweed and so i thought the idea was that you hoovered it as the seed became ripe yeah i mean sometimes they do hoover some of the seed and obviously the meadow where i was at this week had a lot of lesser napweed masses of napweed still in flower yeah so of course they they'd leave that patch and go back at a later date to get that right um, but obviously it does mess up the farmer's field a bit because he has to then come along and bale it twice of course you can never get everything in because no. obviously the seed will fall out of the grasses before if you wait for the napweed so it's not all jolly but you go back at a later date and get it yeah so we can look forward to all sorts of new seed to distribute next year yeah, absolutely. So it has to be treated, though, and, and uh, all sorts of things. Yeah, they, they treat it quite well. Um, the wildflower seed grows quite vigorously. So what kind of species are you harvesting, then? Um, there are a lot of grasses in there that um, we particularly like, like sweet vernal grass is a good one, and dog's tail, right. um, a lot of Yorkshire fog in one particular meadow. Yeah. And, of course, there's some grasses that we don't really need in the seed mixes, um, like the common bent grass, and that grows too vigorously, so they end up sieving out most of that seed from the mixes right. you get about 20 million seeds per kilo yeah. in that grass so if there's a lot yeah a lot. it does dominate a yeah. meadow if you want to yeah. plant it up so obviously they'd take that out get a better mix yeah. and you've got loads of flowers like the knapweed daisy the yellow rattle is great for a field keeps yeah. grasses down what is it how does um, it work yellow rattle i know we've talked about this before but it, it's quite an important feature in a, in yeah a field, it's it? semi-parasitic so it feeds off the grasses to stop them growing too vigorously right and it's pretty as well, isn't it? Yeah, it is very pretty, yeah. 
Lots of these species are not particularly stress tolerant, are they? Which is why I guess they disappeared as a consequence of conventional agriculture, silaging and whatnot. They can't stick the stress of being mowed too early no, on in the year. That's right. And if you put a lot of nitrogen on, like dairy farmers put on, the meadow will become too thick and dense to be able to harvest it. And the um, wildflowers will then diminish because they're competing they too much compete. with the grasses that you get in the fields. Right. We did see one particular field um, last week where it had put a load of nitrogen on last year. And God, the difference, you wouldn't believe. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. couldn't harvest it, couldn't even touch it. But there were these fantastic other flowers that you could have got the seed from. But right. it's no good, no. So yeah. it's like, mm. yeah, no, right. <laughs> Did yeah. you get yeah. to drive a combine now? Yeah, I drove a combine, but it was on... Um, probably the hottest day of the year so we ended up putting an umbrella over the seat <laughs> a Winnie the Pooh umbrella over there <laughs> it's not as easy as it looks really me. yeah no it's like it kept clogging and things and you had to go backwards and forwards and because I'm so short like you have really oh, I couldn't again. I couldn't clutch it and turn it into gear properly <laughs> yeah but it's good and then once all the seed goes through the harvester it goes out into a massive barrel on the side of it and then we then chuck it onto this massive tarpaulin at the side of the field under the shade for any grasshoppers, butterflies, moths, all sorts of critters to escape out of that mix. Because obviously if you bag it straight oh, away, yeah. it will heat up and it will kill all the insects. Oh, so yeah. we, we do want the insects to go back onto the meadow. So they're all hopping out and grasshoppers and everything, so oh. it's great. Yeah. And yeah. whose meadows do you go to? You know, Are they special places? Some are privately owned, some travel SI, which you have to have permission to collect off. Others are owned by English Nature, that sort of thing. But usually you can't harvest the whole meadow. You, you're only allowed to harvest like a third of the meadow yeah. and different parts of the meadow every year. Because Rob's hoping to come to the Wiggly Meadow, isn't he? He is, Because yeah. we've planted our first wildflower meadow which we've had to top this year because there's a few too many thistles mm. in it but uh, hopefully in a couple of years time the Alison and Rob <laughs> combining duo will come and harvest the wiggly meadow yeah it's quite exciting <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and of course they're not allowed to start harvesting until after the 14th of July mainly because of all the ground nesting birds have gone by then and um, so it's all done very environmentally friendly and above board really yeah. And how do they sort out all the different seeds? Um, well, some seeds in some of the areas go back and are planted in that area, like site-specific, so they will go back and be sown around in that area. And other seeds will be, they have many, many sieves of different micro sizes, which they sieve out, or they put through a section thing, which the light seeds rise up and the the heavier seeds which you may not think they're heavy but they are a lot heavier than the grass seeds will go down to the bottom it's very clever they can get oxide daisy seed out of a whole range of seed yeah different gadgets sounds a bit heath robinson yes it is (laughs) fantastic cheers al thanks for coming in anyway and now the action part of the podcast comes and we're out pond dipping. I can't wait for this. Good day for it, isn't it? I didn't know about pond dipping, so I've got here. with me Richard with and Monty. Trying to catch all sorts of goodies. What have you got in there, Monty? Two snails. Oh, wow, yeah. Two greater pond snails. So They're this is just a normal they? fishing net, is it? It is. It, this is just a shrimping net, isn't it? We do these we do these pond dipping sessions during our open days. And part of our pond course yesterday, people had the opportunity to go back to their childhood and try and scoop some goodies out. That's a beaut, Monty. So how big are those things? I mean, they've got to be, what, three centimetres long? Yeah. And what is odd, sometimes next to them, well, either connected to them or the filamentous algae that they're surrounded by, are little ram's horn snails. 
Yeah. A little tiny one. Yeah, very, very small. Those yeah, and just in that little curled shell. We got another snail. Well, what does their life consist of then, these snails? What do they do? What, you know, they what? cling onto walls and stuff. They cling onto walls, they do. They eat quite a lot of algae. They eat a lot of the aquatic weed. Yeah, they're like, they suction onto their... The, um, the pond snails, interestingly, they're not the fastest of creatures. They do have an inclination to be slightly carnivorous. So if they get There's hold of a, a newt larvae yeah, or a tadpole, then they'll feast on it if they, oh, can, if they can get hold of it. And what likes eating them? Well, the snails, they tend to be few predators in actual fact. And in some situations, certainly if you're fish keeping, I know we don't encourage fish keeping because they, it, they don't really complement the whole wildlife situation in the pond, but they do carry lots of disease spores. And they proliferate quite dramatically. So in some situations, fish keepers have problems with, uh, with snail populations. Newt. Oh, look at that. Yeah, ah, fantastic. Now, what's that? That's a, that is a great crested newt larvae. Wow. You see how broad the tail is? It's got a very broad tail compared to the... We've got a smooth newt larvae in there. Very broad tail. And it's got quite dark spots, vivid dark spots on the tail as well. So this one's about, what, two centimetres? Two centimetres. But we've, had them, we've, we've caught them up to sort of five centimetres long, the uh, great, greater, um, great spotted newt larvae. And so what's their life consist of? They start off in here, then they, do they go out from here or do they stay? Greater crusted newt larvae, greater spotted newt larvae. What's a greater spotted newt? Who said that? <laughs> Me, I said it, greater spotted newt larvae. Jesus, great crusted <laughs> newt. <laughs> Tell me what a newt gets up to then. They'll be, uh, they'll come in here. We're quite lucky in this pond because we've got a couple of different species. We've certainly got smooth and great crested newt larvae, but we've also got palmate newt larvae. No frogs or toads, interestingly enough, spawn in here. The newts seem to thrive. Why is that? At the beginning of the year. Well, I think it's because there aren't any fish in the pond. The, the water quality is good. There's a lot of a lot of aquatic plants in here that the newts can lay their eggs on. And they're surrounded by lots of habitats, so there's lots of places that newts can uh, spend their winter and spend most of their time, in actual fact they will spend most of their time out of water, they only spend a small proportion of time in water generally to, to mate and to, uh, and to breed. So did we ought to be providing more habitat for them outside? The I think park? we could put more stuff in this area. We were talking about the other day, perhaps putting some flags and some you know, big flagstones and a few some more logs. log piles yeah. and whatnot around for them to get under. But they'll be, they're ideal. They, they complement the garden because they eat all sorts of pest insects. Looking in this jar then, Rich, yeah. those newts are by each other. Yeah. So you can compare mating. this. This guy is probably a smooth newt. He's got these fantastic... Drifting it's like feathers. gills. They're like yeah. feathers. They're just like feathers that you'd see on a, on a, on that, sort of a Victorian. Looks like headdress. a clown. If you look at that one, looks like a clown. You see oh, how yeah. broader the heads of the great crested newts are compared to the smooth newts. The, the smooth newt is so much more delicate than the great crested newts. Got them, but they are fantastic. I mean, they all they look pretty much like the adult, apart from the fact that they've got these the external gills. Yeah. And there's a water boatman going like water mad. Going What's like, his problem? Yeah, These guys swim upside down. Right. They're great to have in your water boats because they tend to keep the mosquito and ridge larvae think... down. But you can see there's a sheen of air on the back of them, which they're, they're obviously breathing through. You know, they're taking that on board when they float up to the surface. You see he's breathing oh, through yeah. If you snow. first look at one, and, uh, you'd and think then when it's they, they got two legs, but again. then it's got like six. Why do you think it's got two legs? Because um, you look at it... Oh, those big things. Yeah. yeah, but then he's got six. He's a big one, isn't he? He's a beauty. He's a, a greater water boatman. And here we have... This is a dragonfly nymph. Look at this, Mum. I caught that. You did. What's all that stuff covering him? 
That's algae. Right. So they're quite slow moving. I yeah. They'll live in a pond for two or three years. And, you know, they only spend a couple of months as an adult. But they've got an interesting mechanism in there. Again, they breathe through their, their, their rectal regions. And so the lungs are in their, in, their, in their derriere. And you can see, if you look at that, you can see it inflating and deflating. Oh, yeah. And also a really good, good escape mechanism is, is the fact that when they excel uh, air rapidly through their behind, it's like a little jet propulsion. They can shoot through the water to get away from their predators. Handy. Yeah, yeah, ideal. More baked beans for them, Rich. Yeah, yeah, I reckon. <laughs> So if you've got a pond at home, is it likely that you're going to see this amazing diversity of life Definitely. in a yeah. jam jar? Definitely. Yeah. And are you harming the pond by doing this? It's a good idea to be careful. Any kind of interference is, is not good. Um, uh, so especially if you look at the, the delicate feathery external gills on the newt larvae, for yeah. instance, you know, if they're damaged in any way, then those newts may well die as a consequence. So if you are going to pond it, it's a perfectly reasonable thing to do, but just be conscious of the fact that these creatures are very, very delicate. And you don't need to put, like, food in because they eat their shells and then you don't have to put any animals in because they come themselves. That's very true. They do. They colonise naturally. People often say, should I get some water from or some mud from another pond? And I would always recommend that you don't do that. Set your pond up. Stock it with native species of aquatic plants. Don't buy invasive foreign invaders. And, uh, and the wildlife will follow. How long has this pond been here? Four years? Yeah. And it's absolutely brimming oh, with life, isn't it? It's absolutely stuffed with life, mm. isn't it? Fantastic. Great. Do you enjoy that, Mont? Yeah. <laughs> well... On the most gorgeous July day that I can remember, in the most lovely setting, how many butterfly species have you seen today? Well, uh, at least half a dozen, just sat here, not really kind of looking. Yeah. The, uh, there's all sorts of things going on. The sparrows are drinking out of the end of the pond. We're surrounded by wildlife noises. The bees are feasting on the echinacea, aren't they? If we're the not careful, really the good. pond's going to suck up because it's so hot. It's going <laughs> to evaporate. I think the pond will evaporate. Yeah. I don't think there's that danger. And the lily's out in the pond. Yeah, that's great. And business post have just arrived for some parcels <laughs> at Wiggly Wiggler, so just a nice little human element. Yeah. We'll sign off, I think. So bye. Bye bye. Goodbye.